What is going on, everybody? It is your girl, Nick Wolf of Trigger Talks, and I am here with the lovely Bo, or everybody's favorite auntie. Uh, it's so amazing to have you in the room today. We're going to talk about some great stuff. How are you doing today? I am feeling good, feeling great. I am ready. So let's get to it. Yes, we ready. <laughs> we ready. Yes. So the topic that we're going to be talking about today is self-love. I'm choosing me first. Yep. That is, that's a, that's a mouthful, ain't it? Yes, it is. It really is. I think that to even just start this off, I think that we should talk about our self-love journeys because that's where it all starts. Like, mm -hmm. when did you know that you needed to start your journey? What did that look like for you? Um, I would say self-love, the realization, it, it comes in, in stages. Because okay. in my opinion, there is no definitive moment where it's like, okay, I need to do this. I feel like it comes in stages and it, it coincides with the different stages of wherever you are in your life. So mm -hmm. I would say my very first moment of realization, like, okay, I need to focus on me and get my shit together. I was probably around 24, 25 and I was actually going through a divorce. Okay. And before then, I hadn't looked at it as, oh, something is wrong or I need to focus on me or anything like that. But it was at that moment where I'm like, oh, OK, so I'm losing my shit. So I need to start paying attention to me. And then after as time went on and you, you start falling into your habits and your routines and all that, and you kind of lose yourself and then you have another definitive moment, it's like, Okay, I need to focus on me. I need to start mm -hmm. paying attention to this. So so that's why I said like it comes in stages. Is is there isn't one definitive moment. No, I definitely agree. I agree wholeheartedly, honestly, because I've been there. I still have those moments to this day where Definitely. I have to go back and be like, you know what, Nicole, like you need to focus on yourself. You need to figure out why you're lacking in loving mm -hmm. yourself. Absolutely. And because it comes in waves, it's mm -hmm. just like, dang, I could be right there and I love myself. I'm all into it. I'm confident. Everything is about me. Like mm -hmm. I can just be all in that glory. But mm -hmm. then there is those lows in those valleys where it's just like, damn, like I don't even like the way that I look. I don't like the way that I sound. I don't like how my life is moving. It's just Absolutely. so many derogatory things that I tell to myself and mm -hmm. it's, it's fucked up. But honestly, I must say that it's all kind of because of social media at this point in my life. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Like, yeah. Oh my goodness. I have so many breakdowns because I'm constantly in a state of comparing sometimes. Yeah. And I feel like most people go through that. Mm -hmm. they, absolutely. So I would say... Like and this and this is kind of like just a just a brief history and just to just to give you some insight of how I got to where I am now. Okay. So my like in in so many words, like had, I pretty much had like a fucked up childhood. Like mm -hmm. not so much where you know I'm getting beat on every day or anything like that, but I was raised in a household without affection. Okay. So I, I was just having a conversation the other day with a friend about how as adults, we are constantly having to break these old cycles and break these mindsets of things that we were exposed to and how we grew up. And we're just, we have to literally reprogram ourselves because mm -hmm. the way I grew up seeing how relationships work and how, just different type of not just romantic relationships but friendships and all that like I was uh, under the assumption that it's this way and that's just how it's supposed to be 
and mm-hmm. whether you like it or not that like that's how it's that's how it is so there was there was a point in my life and I want to say it was probably about my about preteens going into mid-teen years where I had shut down completely because okay. I had an incident when I was 11 I was I was raped when I was 11 okay and that fucked me up mentally more than physically because I didn't have anybody to help me navigate through that. I didn't go to therapy. I didn't have anybody to talk to or or anything like that. Like I had to sit with that. And I went through a period where during those little preteen and mid-teen years from the ages of 12 to 15, I didn't care about nothing. Mm-hmm. I was running away from home and I was just in the streets trying to stay out as late as possible like anybody pull up I'm hopping in their car like I was all over the place and I didn't care about anything because I'm like nobody cared about me yeah so I felt like well shit I'm already on this path to self-destruction like might as well keep it going so for those couple of years I just I was just wild I didn't care about anything I didn't I damn sure didn't care about myself but after that is that's when I started my started having relationships and yeah. once again from from growing up and seeing a certain way how relationships work I fall into this cycle of okay in order to feel love I have to go through pain I have to I have mm. to settle for whatever this other person is giving me yes so mm-hmm. I I often reflect back to my marriage and I and I don't want to down talk to me and I just I just chalk it up to we were young and immature. Yeah. And we neither one of us was ready for that. So by the time I'm getting divorced, that it was it was like a, a light switch, like, okay, I need to start thinking about me on a whole nother level. Like, yeah, you do your self-care and all that, but like I didn't know anything about mental health. I didn't know anything about physically taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. So, and it just, it just started, it started slow with um, just as something as simple as just talking. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize just being able to talk to somebody and relate to that person does wonders. It really does. Like, it I definitely like, does. I like the feeling of I can relate to somebody. Okay, here's somebody else that knows exactly what I'm going through and I can relate to them. And that, that makes a world of difference. So then you're starting on the path of, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to talk. I had to learn how to talk to myself because I was all, I always felt, okay, you're ugly. Yeah. You're, you're not attractive. You don't have anything to offer anyone. You... You're not productive. You're not special in any type of way or form. Like, I had to get down to the foundation of myself and learn how to speak to myself. And mm. uh, and a lot of people feel like that's, uh, like, it's like it's simple or it should come automatic. It's, no. really, it's really not as simple as you think, especially no, when not. you don't know how. So that's, that's just, just part of it. So it is even um, so fast forward to now, I can honestly say that, of course, it's a it's a complete 180 from where I was. But even now, today, I'm still learning how to speak into myself, how to take care of myself, because I do have those moments where I regress and. I just completely fall off the wagon. I'm I'm not eating good and I'm not exercising. I'm not I'm not listening to the the right things because a lot again, a lot of people don't even realize stuff that you listen to like that that's putting that's putting whatever it is into you. It is. Those are the, you know, gatekeepers to your soul, honestly. Absolutely. So I had to, I had to revamp. I had to pay it, start paying attention to what, what am I listening, listening to? What am I watching? Who, who do I have around me? Mm-hmm. So it, that, that all plays a factor. 
It definitely does. And I'm happy that you brought up your childhood because I think a lot of people try to navigate away from that and just assume that self-love just starts like as soon as you become an adult because Mm -hmm. that's when they feel like that's when they realize who they are. But you're literally in the making as you're growing. So when you're taking in all of these things, especially as a child, because you're taught not to speak, you're taught not to disrespect somebody, you know, you're taught to stay in a child's place. But when you're in that child's place and you're hurt, you can't, there is no type of way for you to get out of that because who do you talk to? You know what I'm saying? Unless your parents got you into therapy or you just have that type of relationship with them, it's hard to talk about trauma. It's hard to talk about Mm -hmm. trauma just period. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I know that as a child, I had to go through a lot of things. At a young age, I basically... Like my grandmother, she used to tear me down every time that I would go over there. But my parents kept sending me over there because they didn't see what was going on. And in doing that, that is where the root of my insecurity started. Mm -hmm. And as I grow older and older, it was like those words just stuck with me. Like, oh, you're big, you're fat, like you have X amount of things wrong with your face and this that and the third and it's just like damn like I took that from childhood all the way into my adulthood because I never resolved that trauma like right we have to acknowledge that trauma is definitely circular it's not linear you don't just Mm -hmm. all of a sudden heal and it's over that's not how it works and it's a ongoing process it is but it's a process that's always worth it though yes and i think that's what a lot of people have to acknowledge is that once you do the work it's Mm -hmm. not going to be an easy fix but while you're in that journey and in that process you learn so much about yourself Absolutely. And that's where I learned self-love is when I actually started seeking help because I knew that I could no longer allow myself to be like this. I got Mm -hmm. to the point where I was ready to kill myself. Honestly, I actually thought about it a few times. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like the world would be so much better without me in it. And that was now that I sit and think about that, it was just like, damn, you really thought that the world would be a better place without you just because of how I talk to myself on the inside. Yeah. And that, let me tell you, that that suicidal area is, is such a dark and confusing area. And I applaud anybody who was able to pull themselves out of that because mm-hmm. uh, again like this goes back to that that time period right before I had my first revelation of okay you need to pull it together you need to start focusing on you I was I was in a failing marriage and I was living in an entire entirely different state away from home a broke college student mm-hmm. and I, 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 I experienced a period of actually being homeless. I was sleeping in my car. Like, I, I went through all of this and I had got to the point where I was so ashamed of where I was in my life, I couldn't tell my family. I couldn't call yeah. home and call my mother and call my father yeah. and my brothers, like, what's going on with me? I was so ashamed. So I, I sat in it. And the more mm. I sat in it, the 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 harder I feel, the the deeper I feel until I just was like, you know what? I want to go to sleep. Yeah. So I remember sitting in our apartment and my husband at the time, he wasn't, he wasn't home. And I was just, I was, oh, I was crying. I was just crying. So like, I think I literally cried all day to the point where you have them hard cries where you got a headache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I know those. And I was, I was just in that dark space to the point where my vision was dark. That's how deep I was in this depressive state. And I just was like, I don't want to be here anymore. And I just remember running a hot bath and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get in this tub and I'm going to go to sleep. And so I went to the medicine cabinet and I just grabbed a NyQuil. To this day, I can't even tell you how many NyQuil pills I took. I just kept taking them. Mm-hmm. Had a glass of water, sat in the tub, and I'm just popping them out the seal, swallowing them, 
and I'm crying. And I'm swallowing them and I'm crying. Mm-hmm. And to the point where I just faded. And I remember my husband coming home. And it, it's it's crazy because I knew that I was fading because I'm in the bathroom. I locked the door and I can hear him knocking on the door, but he sounds like he's down the hallway. It's like I'm in a tunnel. Yeah. And he's knocking on the door. He's, you know, calling my name and I'm not responding. Hell, at this point, I can't respond. I can't feel anything, but I can hear him. And then I just remember him kicking in the door and that was it. That's all I remember. Yeah. And I'm waking up. I hell, by the time I woke up, I don't know what day it is, what time it is or what, but I'm laying in the bed and he's like just smacking me, smacking me left and right. Like, what's wrong with you? Why would you do this? What's wrong with you? And he like throwing the the wrappers in my face. Like, how many did you even take? Like, he's going off. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I just start crying again. I'm like, why? Like, why would you wake me up? Like, why? And he just and he bust out crying because he like, why would you do this? Like, yeah. I know shit ain't right. I know shit is hard. And I know we ain't even getting along. But like, this this ain't it. Yeah. And that was my promise to myself. Like, okay, I ain't, I'm first of all, I'm never doing this type of shit again. And yeah, we went through the motions. We tried to make it work. and But it, it, it just, you know, it just wasn't meant for us. So we ended up splitting and all that. And after that, it was, it was like, okay, you need to start paying attention to you. I started noticing my triggers and what bothers me and what mm-hmm. what I can tolerate. Like now I can walk into a room and I can feel when something bothers me. Yeah. And that that's exactly why I stay away from certain people. I stay away from certain environments because it, it just don't feel good. I feel you on that completely. So like my the my greatest accomplishment to date, I feel like, is the fact that I was able to take a step back, realize what it is that I need and now that I'm an adult, I can speak for myself. I can go get the help that I feel like I need. And I can I can advocate for myself because before I didn't have a voice. Yeah. Now I do. And can't can't nobody stop that. Amen. <laughs> Come on, sis. So, can't nobody stop that. So I am a huge advocate for therapy. I, I love it. And and a friend of mine, like, she always says, like, it's, it's good to have therapy just to be proactive. You don't even necessarily have to have anything wrong. No, not at all. And I, I had to learn that because I always felt like therapy, like, ain't nothing wrong with me. Like, I'm not crazy mm-hmm. people love therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for real. That's, that's that. I'm, no, for real. That's that toxic shit yeah. that, you know, we're taught in the black community is that, mm-hmm. oh, you have to be crazy or something has to really be wrong with you for you to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in all actuality, everybody need therapy 24-7. Yes. <laughs> and I am so glad that I'm actually in like two different places for therapy right now. I have like this self-guided therapy that I do. And then I also uh, I also have like a group therapy that I do once a month. And, okay. this, and the shit is bomb. Like, I love it. it. And I never thought that I would see the day where I'm actually like leading therapy. Yeah. Like my last therapy session, like I was leading our group. And I'm like, y'all want to listen to me? Like, that's beautiful. <laughs> that is yeah. so beautiful. I must say, yeah. like, I applaud you so much because just even listening to your story, I can tell that you've went through so much to get to where you are right now. But the fact that you are a testament to being here right now is just a blessing. And I can't, man, I applaud you so much because we have similar stories and I get it. And I've been there. Ooh, sis, I've been there. (laughs) And, and, And anybody that has been around me for more than a few minutes, they like anybody that's been around me knows that one of my coping strategies is is humor because everybody yeah. has has their ways of coping. Some people, absolutely. Some people dance. Some people do hobbies. They knit. They sew. They, you know, paint or do whatever. But mm-hmm. my how I cope is humor. Like anybody that comes around me, no, I stay with the jokes always. <laughs> and I then, stay with the jokes, <laughs> <laughs> and that is how 
that is how I cope because I look at it as if I'm laughing about it, you can't tell me nothing about me. Yeah. You can't tell me nothing that's going to hurt me. So I always try to try to take whatever it is that's bothering me and I make a joke out of it. And that that's how it makes me feel better. So, and that's all that matters. Yeah. So even now, like my my greatest struggle lately is learning more about having PCOS. Okay. Because before, like according to my doctor, like I've been struggling with this since I was 19, but nobody ever knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't get properly tested and I like... It was always like, okay, I'm going to the doctor with this issue. And it's like, okay, you're pushing another pill off on me. Right. So, But I'm taking all these medications and this ain't this ain't working. So now you put me on something else and then that's not working. So you put me on something else. So it got to a point where I just stopped taking anything. And I'm like, you know what? I would rather deal with the symptoms than to deal with all the side effects of this medication that you put mm-hmm. me on. So, and, you know, then I started learning how to do research and reading up on it. Okay, so this is what's going on with me. Okay, so maybe I need to try this and maybe I need to try that. And Mm -hmm. I have, I can honestly say today, I have gotten to a point where I just, I I don't know another word for it, but I just embrace it. Yeah. I feel like this is something that ain't going away. It's it's always going to be here. So it's something that since I have it, I might as well figure out how to live with it versus being sad and depressed every day about it. Because it's, it's not going to change. That's love. It's not going to change. So, um, and I actually joined like a few support groups for it and all of that. But one of my biggest struggles is like my appearance. Because mm-hmm. one, one of the side effects is it, it fucks with your appearance. Like, even though it's a hormonal disorder... It fucks with your, like, I get random breakouts. I get facial hair. My hair on my head falls out. Like, mm-hmm. I have to deal with all of this. And that and that's another thing. Like, I don't know if anybody's ever paid attention, but if you ever see a picture with me wearing one of my hair wraps, it's not a, fas- it's not a fashion statement. It's because my hair has fallen out. Okay. So... But people, you know, but people don't know that. They just look at, oh, your scarf is so cute. It's the, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all right. Like, so, yes, tell me I'm cute. <laughs> right. But that's, that's, that goes back to the humor and all that. So, and the, the public, they looking at it like, oh, you know, you, you know how to put your scarf together and it, it match your outfit and that's so cute. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, girl, but you, you don't see these patches up under yeah. my scarf. And that, that's that's one of the reasons why I keep my hair cut short. It's just it's just easier. Yeah. It's easier. So, I mean, then not only that, like, I'm, I'm about to be 33 and I'm dealing with shit that, you know, people in their 50s and 60s got to deal with. I'm premenopausal. So I got to I got to deal with hot flashes. Mm-hmm. I got to deal with night sweats and shit like that. My weight goes up and down. It's, it's the dumbest shit in the world to me, but <laughs> I have to deal with this. And I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm not about to be sad about this shit no more. It is what it is. So, my, I mean, luckily I have a I have a spouse that accepts me and he knows my struggles and, and mm-hmm. what I go through. And I have even gotten him to the point where he can sit and laugh and joke with me about it too. Like, so it doesn't bother me as much as it did when I first found out. Okay. So, but yeah. That's, that's beautiful. That's... Yeah. That's really like the epitome of Mm self-love because you go through all these things, but yet you still find the brighter side. You still learn how to embrace it and make it something that's just unique to you rather than Mm -hmm. it being something that consumes you. Exactly. And that that's so real. That's where Mm -hmm. the love is sprouted from. Mm -hmm. I know like for me personally when I was in that space the most recent time that I had tried to kill myself um, I was going through like figuring out what an abortion looked like for me Mm -hmm. and it was something that I said I would never do and this is that and a third but you know I'm not going to 
blast details or anything, but because of the situation, I felt like that was what I needed to do. And I got so down on myself because I ended up missing the appointment and other things had transpired. Mm. And I just... I left my phone in my dorm room and <laughs> I turned it off and I literally just went walking in this like midnight, like super late. Um, we School's in the mountains. There's no lights out there. I'm pitch black. Right. And then I find myself at the top of this building and I'm just sitting there on the ledge, just crying my eyes out and just asking God, why me? Why am I going through this? And as much as I was crying out, it was just like, I felt like something kind of just took over me when I tried to lean forward that pulled me back. It was nobody there, but something pulled me back. And when I sat there, I was just like, you know what? This ain't worth it. Like me losing my life is not worth it. So I literally had to leave all of that baggage, that trauma, that everything on that ledge and allow that to jump off and not me. And I had to embrace and learn how to love myself from that point forward. Mm -hmm. That situation was so hard for me and still haunts me to this day, but I embrace it. It's my story. It's how I help other people who are going through or who have went through what I did. Mm -hmm. And it just made me such a stronger person. And it's like, it's those struggles, those fucked up times, those lows that bring you and make you into this beautiful human being because nobody is perfect we all make mistakes we all have fucked up situations and shit i still deal with melanoma every now and then right i'm still trying to figure out adhd as an adult like uh-huh. it's so many things <laughs> and oh, it's uh-huh. like it's so much but it's just like all of those fucked up things taught me how to love myself more because if I wouldn't have went through the fucked up shit I would have thought everything was just gravy and I just would have been living in a monotone life but because I went through it and grew through it Mm -hmm. I learned how to love myself and accept it and embrace it and I'm so happy that you said embrace because that's the main thing that we need to focus on just as people period is like yes you might have fucked up shit going on and there might be a lot of things that is keeping you from where you think that you want to be but once you embrace it that's when you turn it into a strength rather than something that's going to leave you weak and and you and I just love all the strength that comes off of you I know you I've been around you the Mm -hmm. laughter the joy the happiness but I've also seen you in that vulnerable space too and there's still so much power and beauty in that as well and that's just the epitome of what self-love is definitely i i always say like my favorite saying is alive on purpose absolutely like i'm alive on purpose like no matter what i tried to do or what tried to take me out like i am still here so i'm alive on purpose absolutely and i feel like like where i am right now i'm in my purpose so like another another side effect of PCOS is I'm not able to have children. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, I, I have my days where it's like just sad as fuck because I'm like, I would, like, I would give anything to be a mother. But maybe that's, maybe that's not in the cards for me. Mm-hmm. So, and I know, you know, there's some people, oh, maybe you should adopt or do foster care and stuff. And it's like, I feel like there's nothing like having your own. It's not. And everything is always easier said than done, too. Right, right. So that's how I look at it. Like, that is the one thing in in this world, this universe, like, that is the one thing that I would probably give anything to have. But I feel like since I can't have that, then I'm in a different area, which is why I teach. I'm in education. Mm-hmm. So my kids are my students. And it's... And it's, it's a struggle, but it's also a blessing because the kids that I deal with, they give me so much hell. But <laughs> I can't imagine being without my kids. Yeah. Like, these the same black and brown babies that nobody else wants to deal with. 
Yeah. And I get to have them. Like, these the same kids that cuss me out, try to fight me, try to do all of that, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Like, I, I love my kids and can't, can't nobody tell me nothing about my kids. So I feel like that's where I am right now. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. That's and, so beautiful. Which is which is making a difference in their life, whether is whether they remember me or not by the time they leave my classroom. But as long as I have them, like they're mine. From from 9:30 in the morning till 4:30 in the afternoon, Monday through Friday, those are my kids. Yeah. And hell, most of the time I can tell you what these kids like more than they damn parents. <laughs> it's like I'm, that, ain't it? Yeah, like I know what their favorite color is. I know what they like to eat. I know, like I'm, I'm constantly going to the store buying them little snacks and shoot. I didn't put clothes on some of my students. I didn't, I didn't did groceries. I didn't did so much for my students. And you know, it. There comes a time when they do have to leave my classroom, and they'll probably never see me again. But that, that's what I do. That's, that's, that's what I'm here for. They might not remember who you are, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Absolutely. And my, <laughs> it's making me tear up because my favorite, one of my favorite former students, and he done, I, I want to say he's probably like in like third or fourth grade now, but I remember having him when he was in preschool and he was a nonverbal nobody could get this baby to talk. Mm-hmm. No, nobody. Like, day in and day out, he coming to school, teachers talking to him, other kids talking to him. This baby wouldn't say nothing. But every morning that I saw him, he I was the first person that he saw when he came in the in the building. And I'm, I'm, I'm the lady that gives the hugs. And I'm the one that's, oh, good morning. And I'm giving out granola bars and stuff like that. Because, like, that, that's just what I do. And yeah. that's, that's honestly why my name is your favorite auntie. Because I'm the auntie that's, I'm the fun one. I got snacks. We always going to go somewhere and do something. I'm the one that's hosting the sleepovers. All of that. that that's me. That's favorite auntie. So, right. <laughs> so, this for for an entire school year straight. This baby ain't talking. He walking in, you know, he'll have his little outbursts and he might scream and do whatever, but he's not talking. And I remember at the end of the school year, his mother came up and she was withdrawing him. And I, I overheard it and I'm like, oh, you know, y'all leaving. And she like, yeah, you know, we moving to Texas and you know, I got a job, all this other stuff. So we just making small talk. And I seen him standing behind her. So I'm like, oh, my buddy, you leaving me? And like, I just reached out my hand like I wanted to hug him, but he didn't move. Mm -hmm. So his mother's like, you know who that is? And he said, that's the lady that get the hugs. Just out of nowhere. Perfect English, everything. This baby ain't talked in a whole year. That's so beautiful. And just out of nowhere, like, he didn't know my name, but she like, you know this lady? And he, yeah, that's the lady that give hugs. Mm-hmm. And I, like, that shit just sent me out. Like, <laughs> that shit, it just sent me. Because I'm like, if I don't do nothing else, that was it for me. That was it. <laughs> that's so beautiful. But that, again, that's a testament to people might not remember who you are, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Exactly. Because it resonates within their soul. And that's something that you take with you forever. Yeah, absolutely. So I must ask, in the midst of your self-love journey, what I know that it probably came to the point where you had to let go of some friends. Yes. What did that look like for you? Um, it was it it hurt because I I feel like if it was a genuine true friendship. Once that friendship ends, that that feels like a breakup to me. Like just it's like worse a, to me. Yeah, it feels like a relationship breakup. <laughs> yeah. To me. Um, but yeah, like I had a friend, and for for a few years, like we was tight. Like you couldn't tell me nothing about her. But it got to a point where I had to realize, like I feel like I'm being more of your friend than you are of my friend. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like I'm giving more that you more than you giving me. And it and I had been noticed it for a while. And I, you know, I would say things here and there, but it's like I I've gotten to the point where if something is bothering me or if I'm not- noticing something and I say it to you and you don't take heed to that, after a certain point, I'm gonna stop talking. Absolutely. So there came a point where I was just like, you know what, this, I woke up and I didn't want to argue. I didn't even want to see her. I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to send this text and that's going to be it. And that's yeah. what I did. I sent the text. And, you know, most people were like, oh, that's a bitch move. That's a punk move and stuff. But it's like, Mm-mm. I'm not in the, I'm not in a space to argue or do anything like, and I, I literally just sent the text and I'm like, you know what, I realize we're not friends no more. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. So I I sent that and that was it. Like I haven't spoken to or seen her since. And I'm honest, it, it hurt for the first couple months because I'm like, damn, like this is this is somebody I used to talk to every single day. Yeah. But the way that I like, I guess, combat that was okay, yeah, you used to talk every day, but you were the one that was initiating the conversation. That's mm-hmm. why. And I'm like, damn, you're right. Then it's like, okay, but damn, this was my going out buddy. But then it's like, yeah, but it was because you were inviting her out. And then Mm -hmm. if you pay attention, the only reason or the only time she invited you out was, you know, when she needed something. Yeah. So that's how I look at it. Like, okay, yeah, I might get down, but it it, it was for the best. This is, we we needed to do that. So it's tough. But it's definitely tough. (laughs) Yeah, but it it was necessary. No, I think that, I think for me personally, when I started my self-love journey, I started acknowledging the people who didn't love themselves. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't be around that because they were constantly doing things that were negatively impacting themselves, which obviously you know, projected into our friendship. And mm-hmm. obviously they served their purpose at that moment. And I never like stopped loving any of my friends. Like y'all, mm-hmm. I, I love you for life, but I have to love you from a distance because exactly. I acknowledge how I feel when I'm around you. Exactly. I acknowledge, you know, how I talk, how I move, and I have to choose me first. Mm-hmm. I have to make sure I'm peaceful, I'm joyful, I'm happy. So in me doing that, I just have to always make sure that I keep the right people around me, which might not include these childhood friends or, you know, these people that I've been kicking it with for years. Like, it's so true when people say... You can meet somebody tomorrow who has better intentions for you as a friend than somebody that you've known for years. Definitely. And that's so very real. I've went through cycles of friends because, like you said, like we go through the waves of self-love. But... I also have those friends that I've kept by my side the whole time because as much as I'm growing, they're growing. Right. And I have to always attach myself to growth and not somebody right. that's being stagnant. Definitely. And that's and that that doesn't even just stop at friendships. Like you have family. Oh girl. <laughs> that you have to do. And I'm and anybody that's close to me knows wholeheartedly, like I had to reach that point where okay now that I have a voice now that I can advocate for myself I've I realized I don't like you I don't like mm-hmm. you. I don't like being around you I, all of that so and I'm and I'm not really a, a super religious person or anything like that but I do believe in spirits yeah and I feel like if I'm around you and something don't feel right, whatever spirit you got attached to you, I need to get away from because I don't want none of that jumping on me. Nope, not at all. I'm not bringing that to my house. So, and it, it's hard because one of those people that I have, that I have to love from a distance is my mother. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've never had a, a solid, positive relationship with my mother. And because... You know, I had to grow up in the house with her and all of that. 
I had to sit there and take it. But then once yeah. I grown and on my own, okay, now I can make some decisions. Now I can move around. And it's like, I have a choice now. Right. I don't have to deal with you. I don't have to see you. I don't have to talk to you. So now I can do it on my own terms. And I just love her from a distance. Mm, that's... Since we have like the same story. <laughs> I do. I, Cause do. I, I get that 110% because I have family members, specifically like my grandmother on my dad's side. I, my whole life, like I just had to endure the whole time. And then once I became an adult, I was like, you know what? No more. Like you're no longer going to make me feel the way that you've made me feel my whole life. Okay. I can't allow that anymore. And I think that in our community, we have to stop just putting adults in this like in this higher pedestal than children. Children are little yes. adults as well, in my opinion. Yes, they And are. we all have the same feelings. We just yes. process them just a little bit differently. But children actually feel things more than we do as an adult. Because once they we become sure adults, we put up our walls. We have barriers. We yep. do things differently. But as children, you just soak everything in because you have to. That's how you survive. You have exactly. to be around these adults. You have to do this so you can eat and have clothes and everything so yeah. once you become an adult and you acknowledge that oh i don't have to deal with you no more don't do it and we yeah. have to stop not us in general but just parents they have to stop telling their kids that you have to talk to this family oh member. yeah you I'll have to be around this person you have to do this you have to do that no i do not mm -hmm. i get to choose my peace over my family because exactly. just because we're related doesn't mean that we're really good for one another at all mm-hmm Yep, and all absolutely. those traumas that the, you know, people may have occurred while during their childhood, nine times out of ten, it's from their family. Our right. trust issues start from our family. <laughs> our right. issues in so trying right. to figure out what love looks like is from our family. Everything starts as a child. Yeah. So to tell somebody as an adult that you are supposed to respect and love and what is it, reverend or whatever, like, you oh, know, people who really fucked you up no absolutely yeah. not until you apologize and we have an adult conversation i can no longer have a relationship with you because it does not serve me mm -hmm. absolutely uh it it's crazy because you know most people they sit there and they're like oh i can't wait to grow up so i can stay out late and so i can drive and i can have sex and i can cuss and i can do all this and mm -hmm. when i was a kid i couldn't wait to grow up so i can be able to say no yes oh sis yes you are <laughs> preaching because that was my mate <laughs> yeah but I, was just I, like, I just don't i just I just want to say no. Yeah. I want to choose what I want to do when I want to do an it. Opinion. Exactly. I, I hated that. Like, and it, and that goes back to why we are as adults working through childhood traumas because we weren't given a choice. So mm -mm. now I have to unlearn these behaviors. Absolutely. Like, right now, one of my things that I'm working on in therapy is eye contact because as a child. If I'm looking at you in your eyes while you're talking to me, it's a sign of disrespect and like I'm challenging you. So I was taught you look down when an adult is talking to you. Mm -hmm. That's how it was in my house. So it's crazy that even as an adult, if I'm talking to you, people probably be looking like, damn, Bo, crazy. Like, she don't look at you or nothing. I'm like either looking at the ground or looking around and it, like I'm getting better with it, but it's it's a it's a it's habit a, a year a years long process yeah. that i'm trying to undo i feel that like i'm not trying to be rude i'm not trying to be funny or anything but it's really hard for me to look at people and not like unless i sit there and talk to myself and focus like look at this person look at this person look at this person it's even something as simple as that it's it's tough it it's is tough. I listen I I understand cuz I know that for me my one thing that I'm trying to work through is obsessively apologizing. Ooh. 
<laughs> I excessively apologized because as a kid, I felt like nothing that I did was right. Everything mm-hmm. that I did was wrong. I felt like I was always going to get in trouble. And even it got to the point where, and I'll be very frank, like I was a... Uh, I was lying all the time. Like, what is it called? A, a tele, something type of liar. Ah, I can't think think of it. It's it's like I want to grab onto it, but it's not in my reach. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But nonetheless, um, I used to lie a lot, like all the time, because I felt like I had to always put on this front because I didn't feel safe saying my truth. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like anytime that I was ready to say my truth, I would be judged or I would get in trouble for it. Same Mm -hmm. with the apologizing. It's it's exactly the same. Like I'm always trying to people please and you know, having to grow up really fast at a young age. Like Mm -hmm. it was it's so much that goes around that and it's something that I still have to work through to this day I literally just stopped lying (laughs) I think when I was in high school like I had to stop it in high school Mm (laughs) Bo in high school like I thought it was just a natural (laughs) reflex to lie to people to tell them what they wanted to hear because people pleasing, I don't want to be wrong. Right. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to be hurt or anything like that. Right. So I just stopped lying in <laughs> in fucking high school. That's crazy to say, but that's my truth though. And then now as an adult, I'm trying to learn how to stop apologizing so much right. and also how to have tough conversations without breaking down. Mm-hmm. Like I cry at the smallest little thing because I feel like I'm going to get hit or I feel like something's gonna happen to me. So let me just go ahead and just have this natural reflex to cry because I didn't have a voice. And when I did try to have a voice, it was disrespectful and I was reprimanded for it. So that's why I was just like, yeah, like I want to have these hard conversations, but I'm probably gonna start crying and it's gonna be hard because that's just what I did when I was little. And that's and but you know what the tears that's okay, absolutely that is okay. Like I hate that and and it's something that I try to continuously work on with my students because I deal with special ed. So right off the bat, they're already written off because it's oh it's something wrong with you. Yeah. So they're already written off. One of the things that I continuously preach to my students is. You are allowed. You are allowed to feel. You mm-hmm. are allowed to feel some type of way. You are allowed to be angry. You are yep. allowed to be all of these things. And it's called the zones of regulation. So what we do is, okay, you're upset. You're throwing a tantrum. you throwing chairs. you trying to fight everybody in the room. You're doing all of this. So let's take it back. What happened prior to this meltdown? Yeah. So we go over that. So, okay, so we we isolated the source. So now you're upset. So what I'm going to say is, I'm never going to tell you, you can't be mad. You can't be upset. What I will tell you is, you are more than allowed to be upset. But how you handle yourself while you're upset mm-hmm. is what's important. That's it right there. And I'm, right I'm trying to instill that in them because all they know is, Okay, I'm angry. I need to tear something up. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to teach them, like, that's not how the world works. Now, you're in a classroom and, you know, you're with me and we can work through that. But what's going to happen when you get out in public? Exactly. What's going to happen when five, ten years from now, when you're an adult and you having a meltdown? You can't go out in public and toss a chair because you mad. Because one it, something's going to happen. You either going to get your ass beat. Mm-hmm. You're going to get arrested. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to get killed. Yeah. And I have to remind them, everybody is not going to be understanding of, oh, well, you know, you do have this oppositional disorder or you do have this ADHD or you do have this disorder. The world don't care about that. No, they don't. They they don't care about that. The police ain't going to ask you, 
oh, do you have an IEP when you having a meltdown in public? They don't care nothing about that. Mm-mm. And I see it all the time of somebody with a disorder or whatever getting killed because they wouldn't comply. Yeah. So I, so I try to teach my kids that, like, you have every right to be upset. So that thing, things that I wasn't allowed to do when I was a kid. And I, I never want somebody else's kid to feel like how I felt. You you have every right. You have a voice in my classroom. You can speak your mind. You can say whatever. But it's not what you say. It's how you say it. And you mm-hmm. have every right to feel. But it's how you handle yourself while you're in this feeling. That's very real. And that's, that's it. That's all. If my kids don't take nothing else from me, I want them to remember that. And they should. That's that. Listen, you are a bomb ass teacher. I just want you to know that. Like, if I had you as a teacher, I probably would be out here being great. <laughs> and I see. And I, I mean, I try to. I try to tell my kids, like, you know, I we it, it, how this how this relationship goes is all. It all depends on you. So I can I can be the stern teacher or whatever, and you know, it's gonna be straight military. But like, but who wants to do that? I damn sure don't want to do that. Like that, no. So I said, I play with my kids. We wrestle, we rank on each other. We have snacks. We go outside and play. I'm playing, especially at my, well, I'm not old, but my (laughs) older ass, I'm sitting out here running around the playground, winded as hell, playing tag with these kids. Like that, but that's what I do. And that's good. Cause I feel like, those are those years that they need to learn. Yeah. And that's that stage where we're soaking stuff in. That's where I learned to not love myself. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? That's where I learned about my traumas. That's when I learned about grief. That's when I learned about all those things. Yeah. But it was the teachers that I had that helped me look at the positive side of things. It was the teachers that were in my life and the advisors that helped me get into such a healthy space, or at least as healthy as I could be at that moment. And it's such a blessing. So that's what I wanted. That's, that's ultimately what I want. I feel like since I didn't have that, I want to be that for somebody else's kid. And you are that. I could easily go to, you know, a a better school district or whatever. But I choose to be in the urban area with with the kids that don't nobody want. That's, That's, That's my choice. That's beautiful. So in our last few minutes, um... Just to kind of pull it all together, when we talk about self-love and choosing yourself first, Mm -hmm. what does a healthy version of being selfish look like to you? A healthy version of being selfish. Because I'll say this before you answer. Um, I feel like selfish, the word, has such a derogatory Um, weight on it because it in a sense people teach us that we should always put other people first we should always be all about everybody else and then when we start to put ourselves first and when we start to make sure that we're good or we start to make choices that fit us best that might not work within somebody else's parameters Mm -hmm. we look like we're wrong but in self-love i feel like that's where it you in a sense find out what the healthy version of being selfish looks like because you no longer are worrying about the outside world you're paying attention to you right um i would say and it's it's probably going to sound so elementary and so so childish but that's okay <laughs> one thing that i am selfish about is when I was younger, I didn't really get a choice much about like, as far as like my clothes and food and all that. Like mm-hmm. when I say, when I say my household was, you're going to get food, clothes and shelter and nothing else. Like, don't talk to me, no affection, no none of that. So now as an adult, 
the simplest things I take pleasure in because I'm like, I, I lost out on that. So it could be something as simple as I went and bought a new pair of panties today. Mm-hmm. Or I like a certain type of candy and I'm not going to share this with nobody. Not my students, not Dave, not nobody. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to be messy with it. It's going to get all on my fingers mm-hmm. and I'm going to lick it off. And that is all for me. That's you know what I'm not mad at that and I don't think that's elementary at all because it makes so much sense because as kids we aren't able to make those choices for the most part yeah so you have that to yourself and you did that <laughs> and something as simple as being able to choose what you want to eat because nine times out of ten when you're a kid it's you gonna eat what I cooked or you're not gonna eat at all exactly <laughs> now now what if it's something I don't like now I gotta sit here and force feed this and now mm-hmm. that's adding even more trauma because as an adult you sitting here trying to force yourself to eat something that you don't even like because you've been programmed like that exactly so I take pleasure in being able to have a choice like you know what do I want chicken do I want a burger today do- <laughs> That's beautiful, though, because that's real. That that's what that selfishness looks like to you. Mm-hmm. So that's that's good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it. it good. <laughs> I think for me, my selfish, my healthy, selfish thing would be. Hmm. How am I going to act? How I ask the question, I don't even have an answer. (laughs) (laughs) I think that my one healthy, selfish thing would be doing my hair. Ooh. I I have, as since a child, like coming up, like it was always my hair had to look a certain way, always had to be presentable, blah, blah, blah. But now that I'm older, I take so much pride in my healthy, like natural hair, and I'm choosing to give it all this attention and all this affection. I spend so much time in it. And it's my time to myself that I take to love on myself even more. And that, it just, I don't know what it is. It just blesses my whole soul (laughs) with, Listen, black women's hair is everything, sis. <laughs> Ain't it? Is everything. Even if you bald-headed, I mean, like, skee-ball, it's still beautiful. And it's all yours. And you made that choice for yourself. And that's what I love. Oh, and get my nails done, girl. Anything pampering is I- like, oof. That's it for me. <laughs> You know, I do have my little tomboyish ways. Like, I don't really like being too feminine. I like to wear, you know, sweats and tennis shoes. And Girl, all. comfort is life, okay? But do like getting my nails done. Yes. <laughs> I ain't even gonna hold you. Like, I love... Comfort is always kidding me. Like, if I ain't comfortable, I ain't wearing it. So, I'm usually in a t-shirt, leggings, and some sneakers. And but... Guess what? My face gonna be beat and my nails gonna be done. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so before we close out, do you have any closing remarks or anything that you so let's put it into a situation, a hypothetical. Say that one of your students were listening and they wanted one piece of advice about self-love, what would you tell them? Ooh, one thing, man. Um, I mean, I would just have to say, like I said before, the, the number one thing that I try to teach my students, if they don't take anything else from me, is you are allowed. You are allowed to feel. You are allowed to have an opinion. You are allowed to be angry. Mm-hmm. But it's how you carry yourself while you're in these feelings. That's what makes the difference. That is, I mean, that's such a powerful message. I can't even hold you. <laughs> like that's that's really self-love because if you're not allowing yourself to feel, then you're not allowing yourself to heal. Yeah. So that's 
That's real. And if I could give just one piece of advice about self-love, I would say that it's okay to put yourself first. Absolutely. That's the one thing that I would definitely give people is it's always okay to put yourself first. The world will still keep running even if you stop caring about everybody in the world. Mm-hmm. which means that it's okay to put yourself first, not be in a selfish space where you just don't care about anybody and you just do everything self-serving. No, yeah. it's about always making sure you prioritize your health, your wellness, yes. your yes. everything first, and then mm-hmm. everything else will align afterwards. And also, also, it's okay to say no without an explanation. Yes, Oh, I wish I had an applause thing. Because yes, that's it. That's it right there. That You know what? That's going to be our closing. That's our closing statement. It is okay to say no without an explanation. That is self-love. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I want to say thank you, Bo, for coming on to the show. I greatly appreciate it. You shared a lot of your stories, My which, pleasure. I mean, you are so vulnerable, and I appreciate you. I love you bunches, sis. Oh, thank you. I love you, too. And I applaud you so much because you you are really, really a soldier out here. Thank and you. you're an educator. Girl, it's not like you like the best teacher in the world. <laughs> So I just want to say I appreciate you on behalf of everybody who has ever been your student. Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. And thank you all for coming in and listening to Trigger Talks. It's your girl, Nick Wolf, with you always and forever. Peace out, homies.